for uh, chasing wins this year. This is Chasing Wins. So, Jim, uh, last we spoke, we were basically recapping the King series and previewing this Lakers series. Uh, we find ourselves down 3-1 to the Lakers right now. Um, four games in. What are the keys to Game 5 uh, and getting back into the series overall that, that you find um, based on these last four games and based on kind of like what these games have presented to you, what are like the, the positives and negatives that you've been able to identify that will help us get back into the series? Okay. So before we got into the series, we talked about uh, some of the holes uh, that the Warriors could take advantage of uh, against the Lakers, right? Cause uh, the biggest thing you want to do going into a series is discover what their biggest weakness is and how to most, uh, limit the Lakers' ability to defend, so compromise their defense in some way because they are a strong defensive team with AD playing drop and being inside the paint and just protecting that rim area, that that paint area. He, he's he got great length and he's got great athleticism and it's difficult to finish in there when he's, when he's in the paint, right? We can all acknowledge that. And so the best way to... Uh, limit that situation is to somehow get him out of the paint, right? So put him in whatever action possible that puts him takes him out of the paint, which it, it compromises. If you, if you're able to do that, if you're able to successfully get him out of uh, what they want to do, then you've uh, been successful in, in, in infiltrating their def defensive core. And obviously the best way to do that is to put him in the pick and roll and put him in the put him in a very high pick and roll so that he's very out of the equation you know him trying to kind of scramble from like 30 35 feet you know what i mean and that just changes the structure of how the lakers defend their paint area after that it's just lebron james right so and oftentimes in the pick and roll one guy ends up being erased so you often get to play four on three uh for a short stretch of time and the key for the Warriors is, uh, is just execution, doing it uh, sharply, doing it quickly, and knowing exactly who, um, where you need to be, uh, this kind of thing, right? Uh, spacing the floor well. So it, essentially what you're doing is you, you start with the pick and roll, and then you kind of run into your motion sets in a way, if you think about it, because now you're reacting and it's easier because uh, you have an advantage, right? The floor is opened up. There's much more space to work with. Nothing is clogged, right? So it's just about the players making the right decisions. So in a way, it's kind of like it goes from pick and roll to um, a motion in a way. Uh, and that works beautifully when you have a number uh, advantage, um, you know, from a number standpoint. And basically, they've been all over the map in terms of doing this action. Uh, they go away from it a lot. It, it's inconsistent, even though in games two and four, uh, it was highly successful when they ran it. Even in game one, Dre, uh, towards the end of the fourth quarter with like six minutes left, they were down 14 and they ran. They started running the high pick and roll and everything got mucked up for the Lakers and uh, it worked. Uh, and they nearly pulled off the comeback. 
but obviously, you know, trying to erase a 14 lead in that time span, that's a lot to do. And it's, it's just, you continue to question why, why Kerr is actively going away from it, why he needed a quote unquote feel out game. Like you've been coaching this team for nine years and you've been in these situations, you've been in all kinds of different matchups and you've seen the advantages the Warriors have had all these years. And it's always been like that, whether you, you know, you talk about some of the most um, elite or tense or the most difficult competition in the playoffs that the Warriors have faced over over the years. And the plan has always been the same. It, it's to uh, minimize the effectiveness of the other team's defense. And that's to get their big, big or center uh, out of the paint, right? They did that with Capella against the Rockets, right? And so uh, what, what happened? Toward, down the stretch of that series, uh, Capella had to be benched because the Rockets adjusted to what the Warriors were doing rather than the other way around, right? Like every game is highly valuable and you can't just waste the game one at home because you are, you're somehow doing some kind of quote unquote uh, feel out game. Does that, I've never heard a coach be like, you know what I'm saying? That's not a fight. It's not round one. Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? You lose, you lose. You're so, right. Yeah. You have to take advantage of home court and the Warriors failed to do that. And that was a huge deal because the Warriors, we all know the Warriors have been terrible on the road all season. Their role players just don't travel well. Clay has had a disastrous, uh, you know, series so far on the road. So, so let me ask you this, right? When we run pick and roll, if it's Steph, right? Cause it's mostly going to be Steph high ball screen and that it's not really, it's pick and roll. But it's mostly just high ball screen, rather, like with GP2 setting it out, like, you know, 40 feet out, or um, Looney or Draymond just setting picks like 35 feet out, and then they're just slipping screens or they're diving. Like, if we're running those actions with, with Steph, where does that leave Clay and Wiggins? Like, like, they need to be involved in some form and dimension right like should we include them in some pick high ball screen actions as well should we use them as play finishers if the if the defenders help um like how do they because you don't want to just go to Steph high ball screen every possession and then they get iced out and then last game you kind of saw like Wiggins missed open shots um Clay didn't really get going he kind of forced some bad shots at the end uh you see like certain guys get iced out so how do you balance like running the pick and roll and running high ball screen stuff effectively, but also involving, you know, every offensive threat that we have so that it's a more balanced attack? Well, you know, you can't necessarily have your cake and eat it too in the playoffs, Dre, because the Lakers are a great defensive team. Like let's, let's, you know, Let's not act like it's an easy uh, defense to just penetrate and infiltrate. Uh, so what they're doing is they're taking away Clay Thompson, right? And Clay has naturally just not been as good on the road uh, throughout the history uh, of his playoff career, right? We, sh- we saw this in the first finals. He shot like 40% and he has some really bad shooting games. We saw it last year uh, in game six. You know, he shot five of 20. That, that's just, that's horrible, right? Yet they still won the game handedly. 
And the same thing in game seven against the Kings. Clay once again didn't show up. Four of 19 on the road, right? This is more of a trend. Like then, you know, this is not a, like a coincidence. He doesn't play as well on the road and you can call it an adjustment by the other team, whatever the case may be. But um, he can have an off shooting night, but he's still taking something away from the defense by, you know, forcing um, the Lakers to constantly have somebody on him as part of the advantage that he, he can also create, you know, just, just because of his ability to hit shots. Right. So uh, the biggest thing is when you run the pick and roll, do you consistently have easier shots to work with? You, the the role players may not hit all of them. You know, like it, it, this is a matter of hit and miss. And yeah, Wiggins had some op- wide open shots that he could have hit. He wasn't able to hit. Uh, I, I, f- I feel like there are times where he can attack rather than just settling uh, for the three just because, just because um, he's wide open. You know, there is an, he can also just take the ball and attack a guy like Reeves uh, on certain possessions. That's what it is. He just ends up in a kind of a one-on-one situation where he can either shoot or he can get a little closer, force uh, Reeves up on him a little bit and attack him, right? There, there are different ways to attack these open spaces, but you have to be prepared for it. Uh, this is one of the frustrations of, of not running the pick and roll more consistently in the regular season because you need to practice it. You need to have these players feeling really comfortable uh, in those open spaces and figuring out what's the best way for them to be most effective. Uh, All five of them, you know what I mean? And drilling it, drilling it and practicing it is what's going to make you elite come playoff time. You don't have to run it to the ground, but you can certainly practice throughout the course of the regular season. And they don't really do that. So, you know, they're expected to just know it, know it all and just figure it out on the spot in the playoffs. And because these are professional players and because there's so much room to work with, they often figure it out. But they also have the necessary pieces that consistently make good plays out of it. And Gary Payton is certainly one of them. And he showed that in in the last game, you know, yeah. seven of nine from the field. He was elite. I'll right. say this though, when it comes to you, you're right. So the pick and roll stuff, they don't really run it much throughout the season. Um, you see, like they they really run the motion stuff into the ground. They don't they don't really practice. Like I also feel like they don't have a good diverse like in terms of like diverse sets that they run in the pick and roll. Like you saw a little bit of Spain pick and roll here and there, but not a ton of like layers or uh, you know kind of. Uh, different actions and sets they can go to out of it as a, like just high ball screen and slip or high ball screen and, you know, playing off the trap or relocation kind of just very much more simpler actions. Um, and I agree. That's something that they, they definitely, and Steve is, it's really on Steve to kind of add those things to his playbook and kind of emphasize them because um, in the playoffs, you want to have counters and like, in, and it's funny because even though we kind of have like a more rudimentary, uh, like ball screen type of type of playbook, like we, same. it's still very effective. Like that's the, like, it's, you know, imagine like if we actually put some time and some emphasis on it during the regular season, it'd make a probably a, a big difference. I will also say like in the non AD minutes, like I do think going back to motion wouldn't be of the worst thing because it keeps the defense on their toes. And also 
uh, if you're forcing Wenyan and LeBron to like rotate and and take them out the paint and forcing them to like make decisions, that's better than like running high like high ball screen every time, and it becomes more predictable because now you just got kind of similar actions thrown their way. And in the AD minutes, I think running motion is a death is a death sentence. But in the non AD minutes, I think you got to mix it up a bit more because if you just th- keep throwing the defense the same look. They're going to eventually figure out, like, rotations and timing and all that stuff. Um, so, so, so <clears throat> I mean, the final play that they ran, uh, that, that's that's a really good example of uh, – I understand uh, AD was on the floor at the time, but uh, LeBron knows exactly what they're doing <laughs> in the motion, right? You, you're not fooling anybody. They know how to blow it up. All they got to do is switch a bunch of actions instead of – you know what I'm saying? Like the trying to recover though, on the screens. I would Go say ahead. the difference is is that while LeBron has the know-how, he can't clean up like he can't cover ground the way AD does. And so even though like so here's what I would say. I would say like it wouldn't be the worst thing to run clay off of screens. And if they switch it, like obviously then, you know, but there will be a mismatch at some point. Like Jordan is gonna find himself on like a big or like Clay is gonna see like a smaller guard. You can attack that, or maybe even Wiggins can find a matchup where he can go downhill. I just feel like we can't. We got to be less predictable because I think even with the pick and roll, it, we saw kind of in the fourth quarter it got a bit predictable. Um, they were just switching stuff, and we were kind of we we went away from it at times. But like Steph kind of just was settling for certain shots because they were packing the paint, and he was kind of forced to take just higher degree of difficulty shots how many how many high pick and rolls against ad did they even did they actually run though no they went away from it they were but but the few that they did run like like even in the fourth quarter in that those last couple possessions like lebron was just hunt like he was ready to help and he was going to help off of wiggins clay was like i mean they were going to stick to clay but um i just feel like with the pick and roll stuff, like, and they ran six in total in the second half, which is ridiculous. Against the D. At some point, yeah, at some point though, you do have to like find pockets in the game yeah. where you're like not running disagree. the same stuff. I don't disagree, but um, you talk about predictability. Uh, uh, the Warriors, you can say that the pick and roll is predictable, you know, but it doesn't change the fact that it creates an automatic advantage for them. You know, the Lakers have done their best to make adjustments in some way. And one of the things that they did was put AD on uh, Andrew Wiggins. And I I don't know if that was the reason why they did it, but um, you know, Wiggins, Wiggins can also be a little more effective in the pick and roll. If, if they use them more in it, um, because he was kind of settling for shots, which I didn't love. Uh, there's another thing that was happening uh, very early in the fourth quarter where Gary Payton, um, there's a couple of things. Like I feel that he needs a more clear direction in terms of what to do when he's wide open. And I would say in the pick and roll, because, okay, so in the motion, uh, Gary Payton often kind of, he waits to see if there's action for Steph Curry to coming off the curl or something like this. You know what I'm saying? Uh, relocating or something like that. So uh, he looks to see what happens in the motion. Uh, whereas pick and roll is more, uh, it's more reactionary and you have to kind of just take what they give you or what 
what what ends up being the best shot. And sometimes that's a three point shot from Gary Payton. Okay. And there was a moment where he was wide open and he chose not to take it. And he gave it to Steph Curry, uh, who got to the three point line, but his defense uh, was right there, right? His defender was right there. So it ended up being a really bad shot for Steph, even though it's Steph over GP2 that took the shot. So All there's right. context to what kind of shot that you get. And when you get a wide open shot like that, Gary Payton, I like his shot. He has a really good form and he has a really good set shot. And when he shoots it with confidence, I believe in it. Uh, we've seen him hit it. We He saw he hit it in the first half of the game, right? right? So, and that was when he was in rhythm. So, you know, if anything, if he misses something like that, then if I would say call a timeout, if you're Steve Kerr, you got to be like, GP, when you're that open, I want you to shoot it. I want you to shoot it with confidence. That's what happened with Andre Iguodala as well, by the way. In the first finals, uh, he was matched up against Mozgov. And he was getting like wide open looks, right? So Andre shot them with confidence when he was wide open and he hit them, right? That's a big part of the equation to have pieces that are confident enough to hit when they're wide open. And um, instead of giving him this kind of message, you know what I'm saying? And encouraging him to be more aggressive. uh, Kurt took him out. He took him out. I think he did it because uh, he didn't like that Gary Payton didn't shoot it, right? Uh, yeah. And he well, took him out, and he, he never brought Moody him back. In. He put Moody in, and I guess the idea with Moody was, like, better spacing, right? I mean, the defense, we know GP2 is the better defender. Uh, the spacing's the same, Dre. The spacing's the Dre. It's a matter of what they do in that act and what right. they decide well, to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. But I'm saying more so horizontal, like, perimeter spacing, just, like, stretching out to the three. And not that GP2 can't shoot it, but he's not, like, a volume guy. Like, Moody... Moody is more comfortable just taking that shot at the first at the first opening. GP2 is more so like, eh, I may be open, but maybe there's a better shot. Whereas Moody is just more of a cat by nature, a catch and shoot guy. But I still agree, like GP2 should have closed for defensive purposes. He's a he's a good rebounder. Um, and as a slasher, he could have added some rim pressure, like he definitely, and he was very effective in that first half, like super effective. Seven of nine, Dre. That's elite. He was their second best player. Yeah, yeah. The way he was finishing it inside the paint and like, he just, even if the defense like tries to recover a little bit on him, he knows how to fake. He knows how to get them out of position and just get a, get a layup wide, you know, right over them anyway. So let me ask you this. If we, if we, so when we talk about getting back into the series and especially game five tonight, do we like have to concede that if we do lean into pick and roll, like we're gonna have to live with Wiggins? Like if Wiggins misses shots, we're just that's just the reality of it. If you know um, Clay or whoever, if Jordan Poole, um, they're missing these shots, like then we're just gonna have to live with that because th- like Wiggins missed a couple open shots and Clay kind of forced the issue on a couple possessions, but like. They, it's not like they got the worst looks overall last night. The quality wasn't too bad. They kind of forced it at the end, but like um, that that game, like Wiggins had some really open looks. Um, Clay had didn't have too many, but Steph got some. He missed some easy shots. Like, is it better to just kind of lean into you know just a make or miss league type of thing where 
you guys just produce quality looks. But I don't know, because the defense is going to live with Wiggins missing shots. They're going to live with leaving him open. But the motion also is like, right? You see what I'm saying? There's flaws with both. Um, that's why I think you've got to do a health. There's got to be a healthy balance between them. You can't, if you lean into one, they're just going to probably leave Wiggins open or they're going to, you know, uh, trap the ball screen with Steph and figure out a way to rotate or switch certain actions with AD on the perimeter like they did at the end. I'm telling you, man, like, yeah. um, that if they finish that game with uh, GP2, they win that game. You know, like when yeah. you have number one, when you have multiple threats at the rim, uh, that would and that would be Wiggins and GP two, right? And uh, in open sp- in open space, uh, Draymond as well, right? And and he can uh, create. And it's easier for Drake to create when the players have uh, multiple skill sets that that they can rely on uh, in open space. And so, and then defensively, like you said, uh, they're just more elite with GP two in there. Uh, they just they settle too much, allowing uh, Steph Curry to be uh, switched up against a bunch of guys. You know what I'm saying? Like they have so, to just so yeah. let's so let's just kind of recap this. So I believe GP two should start like the rest of this year. I don't think you don't tinker with it. I think one of the things I noted, um, I tweeted this out on Twitter. I said this was also subtle, but something that I knew would happen. GP2 gives us some extra quickness and transition. Like there was like three or four layups he gave us just off of just cherry picking or just being able to be speedy and quick. And he just kind of just finds his, his way underneath the basket and just gives us some free points. Nobody can do it like he can. And, and in transition, that's super valuable. Like we had some really free points just off of that. Um, so I, I believe we should start and close with and close especially and I get it there's limitations but if you run ball screens I'm you're gonna get a clean look it's just a matter of are you gonna live with Wiggins missing open shots are you gonna live with would you rather go with like the theoretical like the better perimeter spacing or would you rather just go with you know whatever the defense gives you take advantage and if Wiggins is open maybe we I guess we just have to live with that if Clay's open you're gonna you're gonna have to live with that if they if they switch it on Steph you probably just have to live with that. Um, but at least GP offers some defensive um, ability and value that, you know, maybe can get it back on the other end if we're struggling to score. Um, so I think we should start and close games with GP too. Yeah. And he should be playing at least. I mean, how many minutes did he play? I put, what, 25? 23. 20, yeah, 23. So here's the problem. He should be playing um, about 25 to 30. I think at least yeah the problem I I don't understand like what's going on and we need more clarity from like the media members the Warriors media has to ask questions like tough questions that uh, provides answers to what the hell is going on with GP2 Uh, I think he threw up in his mouth in the first quarter, so he had to he like left in the middle of it, and he wasn't feeling well. I don't and and Draymond like he he didn't even realize it. He threw threw the ball away, thinking GP was there, uh, and he just throws it away as a turnover, right? And um, it just yeah yeah. Okay, you talk about like mixing it up with motion and pick and roll and whatever. Um, I'm I'm gonna say a couple of things in, in regards to that. Number one. That may be more feasible and that may be more easier to get away with uh, at home than on the road. 
on the road, uh, you just can't waste a bunch of possessions. They're not good at good on the road. Their role players are certifiably worse uh, at converting shots um, on the road. It's part of the reason why they've been awful all season on the road, just playing the motion, right? So if it's something that didn't really work in the regular season, is it really going to work in the playoffs against an elite team that knows exactly what you're doing, anticipating what you're doing, uh, and they have the motion like read like a book? Uh, it didn't work uh, in the in uh, game three, right? Uh, when they did run it, uh, and it didn't work when they tried to run it with the game on the line. Um, so, I mean, that's a talk about a horrendous way to end the game on a fucking turnover. You know, you don't even get a shot opportunity. Uh, Draymond, you know, runs the hammer and he just, <laughs> if the pass is not there, hold the damn ball. Don't just, don't just risk a pass that that's going to get stolen. You know what I mean? That's crazy. That's insane. It's the second time he's looked off Steph Curry. And uh, there's so many nuances there that it really upset me. This is the second time, by the way in the series where Draymond went away from Steph Curry with the game on the line. He did it in game one where uh, Steph was coming off uh, the the DHO looking for the ball back and Draymond went to Jordan Poole who took that 30-footer and he ended up missing it, right? And it's just like, if Steph Curry made that decision where he's like, okay, well, I got two guys on me and uh, I need to get somebody an open shot, I like that pass off of Steph Curry's hands much better than you know, Draymond's hands, you know what I mean? Because you're you're not allowing your best player to dictate how you want the game to conclude. You're allowing your secondary playmaker to make that decision. And that's not cool, man. What what superstar in the history of the sport has not had the opportunity to um, have the faith in his hands in terms of decisions that, that are going to happen? You know, Steve Kerr, as a player, hit a wide open shot to like win a game. You know, Paxson, like, like these guys have won the game, but their passes directly off of Michael Jordan doubles, right? So I don't like that. I don't like that they took that decision away from Steph Curry not once but twice with the game absolutely on the line.